This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to the Seattle Mariners Baseball Podcast. Diving stop, Seager. Toss on off the first. In time to get seven. Three-run homer. Robinson can off the lefty specialist, Fernando Abad. And the Mariners lead it five to four. Goodbye, baseball. Straight away, center field. Cano and Cruz go back to back. And the king, when the Mariners needed him the most, two hits over seven. Now, here's your host, Gary Hill. And it's time once again for the Seattle Mariners Baseball Podcast. Thanks for being back as we have a lot to talk about. The Mariners back home after the long flight from Toronto, taking on the Oakland A's for the first of three and getting the win against the A's, hanging on for the victory. So we'll have the highlights and reaction coming up in a few minutes. Aaron Goldsmith is going to take us behind the scenes. He'll visit with Emmanuel Sofuentes coming up. Also, I always enjoy the conversations with some of the great voices around the game, and this is a good one coming up. Ken Korak, the voice of the Oakland A's, and he's going to talk about a Hall of Famer Oakland A's broadcaster. That comes up in a few minutes as well. So another fun podcast. I I hope you think it's a fun podcast coming your way Mariners swept aside by the Toronto Blue Jays in four games coming home taking on the A's facing Sean Maniah coming off the disabled list really good stuff and at times can have some control issues and he had some control issues in the first inning Segura extended his hitting streak leading off with a base hit and then Heredia walked Cruz walked, and after Seager struck out, Valencia would walk to drive home a run. Motter would strike out, and then Gamble would walk again with the bases loaded. The stretch and the 3-1 pitch, and it's up and in for ball four. Ben Gamble with a bases loaded walk, and that will force in Heredia. The Mariners with a 2-0 lead. Here in the bottom of the first on two bases loaded walks served up by Sean Manaya. So a couple of bases loaded walks in the first inning as the Mariners get a couple of runs. In the second inning, it was not a walk that would drive home the runs. Here's the pitch to Cruz. Swing and a drive. Straight away center field. Davis going back to the track. To the wall. Goodbye baseball. To the base of the batter's eye. Straight away center field. Nelson Cruz with his ninth home run of the season. And the Mariners have taken a 4-0 lead over the A's here in the bottom of the second. Nelly Cruz now with RBIs 32 and 33 on the year. And that was absolutely blasted to dead center field. Another home run for Nelson Cruz. It was funny. I was looking before the game yesterday. I was looking at the last 365 days, the last calendar year, to see who has hit the most homers 
the last calendar year. And it was two guys who were tied. It was Chris Davis, 44 home runs the last 365 days. And it was Nelson Cruz, 44 home runs the last 365 days. And what do you know? They both go deep in the ball game. Both Cruz and Davis. Davis number 11, Cruz number 9. As Gallardo turned in a very good start for the Mariners. 3-2, swing and a miss for strike three. And that will retire the side. Second time that Gallardo has fanned Ryan Healy. That is strikeout number four for Gallardo. And that's it for the A's here in the top of the fourth. He goes six and a third, four hits, three runs earned, a couple of walks, and then the Mariners would turn it over to the bullpen. And there's a lot to dive into uh, about the bullpen. And it started in the seventh inning. Plouffe would ground out, Vote would walk, and then Pinder doubled to left. So there's runners on second and third, really an infield double. Seeger went diving after the ball, glanced off his glove, went into left field. So... Runners at second and third, one out, and then Davis would walk. Altavilla was on. He faced Davis. He would walk him. So the bases loaded, and he would strike out Joyce, which was huge, and then would get Lowry. On the way, the 1-1. Swing, ground ball into the shift. Modder and shallow right field. Scoops it up. A long toss on to first base in plenty of time. Lowry is taken down by the shift. And Dan Altavilla leaves him loaded and keeps the A's off the board in the top of the seventh. No, that was huge. It was huge. He came on in a one-run ball game and got the final two outs with the bases loaded. And then in the eighth inning, we saw Ciszek for the first time this season. He was able to get – they wanted him in a low-leverage situation to start, a soft landing maybe. This was not a soft landing. In a one-run game facing Chris Davis – but he would get him to ground out, so he gets the job done in a third of an inning. They would bridge the gap all the way to Edwin Diaz. Diaz, who allowed the game-winning home run just yesterday, or the day before, against the Blue Jays, facing this A's lineup, and he just really struggled to find his control. After retiring vote on a pop-up, he would end up walking four guys including walking a run in with the bases loaded mariners have to go to the bullpen zick comes in he was in a tight spot he gets davis to ground out but at that point mariners gladly trading the run for the out alonzo intentionally walked rosales up bases loaded three two count as zick trying to end the deal the set by zick and the 3-2 pitch, here she comes. It is a fastball. Strike three called. And the ball game is over. Tony Zick strikes out Adam Rosales for the final out of the ball game. The Mariners win it 6-5. They hang on and win it and snap a four-game losing streak. Yeah, right there on the corner. 3-2, he got him. Zick, his first career save. Brilliant pitching, especially in that scenario. Gallardo, the win, his second. Diaz ends up going just a third of an inning. No hits. Two earned runs and four walks, but Zick able to slam the door as the Mariners eke out a 6-5 to five win, now 11-5 at Safeco Field. Seager is the one, when you look back at the eighth inning, the Mariners a one-run lead. 
But the reason they could afford to give up two runs in the ninth is Kyle Seeger came through with a big bash. Here's the stretch and the 0-1 pitch. Swing and a drive into the gap in right center field. Davis going back. Goodbye baseball. Kyle Seeger with his third home run of the season. Goodbye baseball. And the Mariners now lead it by a score of 6-3. They pull out to a three-run lead over the A's on Kyle Seeger's two-run home run here in the bottom of the eighth inning. So Seager smashes a two-run home run. Cruz a two-run home run. Mariners play long ball. They get a couple of walks as well, and they pull out the game 6-5 to five over the A's. They take game one of the three-game series. They hang on for game one. Alta Villa was huge, enormous, getting a couple outs. Here's what he had to say. Big situation, uh, you know, just coming in and having first base open. You know, went right after him, but, you know, put him on and, you know, just go get the next two guys. You know, big, big right there. Just, just with the situation with Bonnie, putting a couple guys on there, how pivotal was that? One of the bigger spots that you've been come right. up. Right. You know, it was a pressure situation, and, you know, it was big for me to go out there and get that under my belt and, you know, get things rolling again. But, uh, you know, just went right after him with the fastball there. So, you know, it was big for the team tonight. Why, it looked like you went just to the fastball for the next two hitters after you got into trouble. Why and what, what worked for you there? Right. Well, fastball is my best pitch, and, you know, I wasn't going to let them beat me with my slider. Um, you know, and that's what I was feeling good with, and well, we just went right after him. Went right after him. Good to hear. Here's what the skipper said after the ball game. Always interesting watching the Mariners, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> and tonight? <laughs> How do you sum that one up? Uh, Legardo, uh did a really, really good job for us tonight. I was uh, excited the way he threw the ball. Probably the best fastball he's had all year. And uh, Tuffy did a good job with him, really establishing it. Uh, you know, got us deep in the game. And, you know, uh, we were on the edge there a few times, uh, you know, trying to stretch Gardo a little bit. I thought he made a great pitch. We just didn't get the ball that ticked off Seager's glove. You know, a couple of feet over, we made a good double play ball. But, uh, you know, at that point, you know, we were a little uh, tight in the bullpen tonight. Uh, but, you know, we knew going into the game, for us, kind of the bridge, it was going to be Dan Altavila tonight. And didn't start off that great, but he worked his way through it. And hopefully it's a, it's a big confidence booster for him uh, tonight. You know, eighth inning was kind of the way we mapped it out this offseason. Uh, and, you know, ninth inning was interesting. So, uh, uh, big add-on run. Obviously, the, the home run, Seager, was huge. And, uh Offensively, didn't do a ton tonight, but we did control the strike zone. We got some walks and, and uh, took advantage of some of that stuff. So, uh, interesting game. Bullpen, there was some good stuff, some different stuff, some shaky <laughs> stuff. I mean, yeah. how do you yeah. how do you summarize that? Yeah, we've we've used our bullpen a lot, obviously, with the kind of the, the status of our starting pitching and. Um, you know, a couple guys stepped up. Tony Zick, great job tonight. You know, he was actually not supposed to. We were, he was supposed to be down tonight. Um, that's why you know we got to the point. We just had to go for it, um, and, and uh, obviously it didn't look like Eddie was going to work his way out of it. So um, you know, our bullpen has done a, a good job. We have taxed those guys. We've used them a lot, and you know, one thing I, I, I do know it's uh, you have to enjoy the wins in this league. Uh, it's hard to win, and if you don't, uh, I think. Uh, you know, no matter how you get there, you have to enjoy it. We're out here busting it every day. The guys are working hard. We know we kind of our backs are against the wall a little bit with the injuries. We have to enjoy the wins, no matter how they come out. Hate to go from the wins to the end of the game, but that's two in a row for Eddie. That's, the consistency hasn't always been there. 
What do you look at after a game like today? Yeah, you know, I think with Eddie, um, you know, he is a young pitcher. Uh, mechanically, you can see it. You see it. He gets out of whack. And I think because, you know, he doesn't have a ton of experience um, at this level, it's how do you get yourself back in. That's what, you know, the, the veterans, the guys that have been around for a while, when it starts going bad, where do I go? And I think that's kind of what we're seeing a little bit tonight. Eddie just didn't find, couldn't find it. You know, couldn't find a release point. Uh, struggled with the breaking ball. And, um, you know, luckily we were able to, to bail him out tonight. You had him in the lineup before the game. How close was Robbie to going before he's grabbed? Uh, he went out and, and ran around a little bit. Uh, did not feel uh, he was able to go defensively. You know, swing the bat, maybe okay. But, uh, you know, when you start on defense, when you just have to react and, you know, you don't have time to think about how hard you're going to go. I just didn't think it was ready. And it may be a few days yet. Um, I'd hate to lose him for two or three weeks. So it's, it really is truly a day-to-day thing. You know, we'll see how it is tomorrow. Yeah, hopefully they can get Cano back in lineup as soon as possible. And it's just so unusual now to see Cano ri- originally written into the lineup yesterday, revised so he was out of the lineup. So he missed the Toronto series all four games. He's now missed five games in a row for a guy that – Rarely has missed five games in a season. I mean, last year, 161. Year before that, 156. Year before that, 157. Uh, So his time with the Mariners, he's barely missed five games total. I mean, 160, 161, 159, 160, 161, 159, 160. I mean, you go through his career, and it's remarkable how consistent he has been being on the field. So it's unfortunate that he's missed a handful of games now. Hopefully he'll be back very soon. As the Mariners take on the A's for game two of the series tonight, 7-10 first pitch. Chase DeYoung will get the ball, looking for his first major league win, 0-3 with a 7-8-5 ERA. Taking on Andrew Triggs, 5-2 with a 2-2-1 ERA. Triggs has been excellent this year. With one exception, the Mariners got him for six earned runs in four and two-thirds innings, the 23rd. And outside of that, he has been brilliant. In fact, he's given up more runs in that one start, six runs, than he has against every other team and all the rest of his starts combined. In these six other starts outside of the Mariners, he's given up just four earned runs the Mariners six he went the first three without giving up an earned run gave up six to the Mariners and then blanked the Astros for seven innings after that now his last two starts three earned against Detroit and last time just one earned against the Angels but he has been really really good we'll see if the Mariners have the magic once again to beat Triggs so again 7-10 first pitch tonight from Safeco Field Right now, let's hand it over to Aaron Goldsmith. Emmanuel, it's always good to catch up with you for a few moments in your very busy schedule. We're here inside Rogers Center, inside the visiting dugout, and day one of every series is particularly stressful and eventful for a guy in your shoes. Can you tell us what day one of each series looks like for you? Yeah, um, here on the road, and and I'll just kind of use this as as an example. Uh, Myself, Chris Prieto, who runs our replay, and Jimmy Hartley, who's our video coordinator, uh, we usually get to the ballpark around 11.30 noon. Um, the main reason for that is just to kind of set up, make sure everything is prepared for uh, before players and coaches arrive, uh, make sure the report is updated uh, with yesterday's game. 
um, and make sure all the video needs are all set up. Um, from there, uh, we usually have a staff meeting around 1.30, and the staff meeting is uh, very specific and detailed. Uh, we go over the opponent, we go over what they do offensively, what they do defensively, uh, what they do on the mound, how they control the running game, how we control their running game, their bunts. Uh, we go over every aspect of the game. Um, from there, the coaching staff kind of filters that information and prepares for player meetings. Uh, usually our pitcher meetings are first where uh, we have all of our, our pitchers uh, in the room. Um, Mel, our pitching coach, goes over each opposing hitter um, and we show video along with those meetings. Um, and then after that, we'll have our hitters meeting immediately after. And that's a time for Edgar and Scott Brocious to go over each opposing pitcher. Uh, we watch the pitches, we watch what they do, how they do it, how they're trying to get us out. Um, it's time for our hitters to kind of speak their minds on how they want to approach each guy uh, and uh, just kind of their past experience if they have history against them. And then, uh, and then after that, it's just kind of uh, pregame prep with, with Scott, um, Scott Service, and uh, we just kind of go over how we want to attack and what our overall game plan is going into that game and the rest of the series. Will Scott have specific questions for you depending on the matchup, the series, and who you're playing? Uh, yeah, um, it's usually the same questions a little bit. Um, sometimes they vary depending on who we're playing. If it's a team that's a little more athletic, uh, using the Cleveland Indians as an example, um, they like to do a lot of different things. There are different ways that they can beat us. Um, so he'll kind of go more into detail on teams like that. Uh, other than that, they're just very um, general questions that he asks for each team. A minute ago, you said that you would get the report worked up from yesterday's game. What is what is that report exactly? Yeah, so it's the advanced report uh, for the team that we're about to play. Usually it's done a day before, um, so we don't have the most current up-to-date information for their previous game the day before. Um, so I'm just updating everything to reflect the previous game that we have or that they have, um, whether that's pitch usage, uh, uh, pitch count for the opposing pitchers, their bullpen usage, and things like that. How much, when you're in the midst of a series, like we're wrapping up a series here in Toronto, how much are you already looking ahead to the next series against the Oakland A's? Because I can't imagine you're doing all that work game one of a series. Yeah, um, it's all about the Oakland A's after day one. So once day one of series is complete, um, I'm pretty much 90% on, on Oakland and 10% on the current series. Emmanuel, we could talk to you all day about this. We're going to have to visit more than once over the course of the season. But until then, thank you so much for the time. Thank you. I appreciate it. And now a fun conversation with the voice of the Oakland A's. Shannon Dreyer now joined in the booth for the roundtable. Rick Riz, Aaron Goldsmith, and a special guest from the A's broadcast, Ken Korak. And Ken, great to have you here at Safeco Field. Uh, Thank you, Shannon. Sorry that we have to have the roof closed and everybody's bundled up today, but hey, it's May. It's better than being uh, at the Kingdom, I can tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> this is fantastic. Roof open or closed. This is my favorite ballpark in the American League. So really? Why, what to stands out to you? What is it that you love? Well, about I this think I, part of it is that we're not in the kingdom anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but I just think what they did here, where you feel like you're outside, but you're going to play even if it's raining. Right. I think that feeling that you have in here, I think, really makes it special. It's nice to have that guarantee. Yeah. Kenny, uh, you've been around this game for a long time, many, many years with the uh, Oakland A's, of course, and you worked with one of the Great announcers in the game of baseball, Bill King. I had the pleasure of being alongside Dave Niehaus for many years, also in the Hall of Fame. Bill King, 
going into the Hall of Fame this year. What was it like for you sitting right next to Bill King all those years, buddy? Well, you know, Rick, <clears throat> excuse me and thank you. It was, for me, the most unique thing about it was that I grew up listening to Bill. And so for 30 years, I had almost idolized him. And from the time I first heard him when he was broadcasting the Warrior games back in the 60s, and then on to the Raiders and all those incredible calls yeah. during his Raider days that have been, um, you know, part of history because of NFL films. Then he started with the A's in 1981. So I listened to him, I mean, thousands of hours, and now you're paired with someone. So how many times do you get that opportunity where um, you're literally sitting right next to one of your idols? And how about we listen to a little Bill King? One odd left here. Five-nothing A's. Swung on. High drive. Center field. Dave Henderson signaling. It's mine. It's mine. It is. And it's a new hitter for Dave Stewart in the Stadium. This June 29th, 1990. The fifth new hitter in the history of the Oakland Athletics. And it comes six years and nine months to the day since the last one pitched by Mike Warren in 1983. Now, Holy Toledo was, was Bill's thing. That's right, exactly. And there's, there's a, a tribute to, to Bill, as we just heard his voice. There's a tribute to Holy Toledo now. And, and so we haven't had a chance to see it inside the Coliseum, but you have. Well, you'll see it next time you guys are there. And uh, we had a wonderful tribute to Bill opening night as part of the ceremonies before the A's opened the season against the Angels. Uh, Ricky Henderson also was part of the, the pregame festivities there. But there's a sign out in center field. Hmm. And the A's had to get approval from Major League Baseball because it's actually where the batter's eye is on the back wall at the Coliseum. But the sign is painted green, and it doesn't light up until something happens. So the theory behind it, I guess, would be that if there's something that happens in the game that is worthy of a holy Toledo, like a big home run or a great defensive player or something like that, where if you could imagine Bill exclaiming holy Toledo, which yeah. was his punctuation that he made famous. The sign lights up with this holy Toledo, and you actually hear Bill's voice. Oh, really? Yeah, you hear really? Bill's voice wow. over the, over the, the PA? PA system at no the Coliseum. Kidding. Yeah, so That's it's awesome. a cool thing. The fans seem to really enjoy it. And they enjoyed him as well. I've got some Oakland A's fans, and he was absolutely beloved. What was it, that, that the connection with the fans? I think that the biggest connection, Shannon, was the passion that he brought. And, Rick, you remember, because you spent a lot oh, of time yeah. around him. Yeah. Bill lived life to its fullest. There wasn't a day in which Bill wasn't totally immersed in whatever he was doing that particular day. And there was, it was kind of an unvarnished approach that he had. And uh, he was just a, a man that was, uh, just had a great passion for what he did. And it wasn't just sports. I, he was dubbed the Renaissance Man. Per, were you the one who named him that? Well, I don't think I named him that. It was, it was part of the, the book that I wrote about him right. was, I think, the subtitle, Renaissance Man of the Mic. But he did. He had myriad interests. I, I mean, it was incredible. He was off the charts. He was the most brilliant individual I ever met. Really? And uh, his interests ran the gamut, the full spectrum. Uh, he was just a fascinating guy. Yeah. Kenny, all those years working with Bill King, what did you learn from him as far as what we do here broadcasting a major league game? Well, I think, I think, Rick, the biggest thing that I took away was the commitment that he had to every inning of every game. Yeah. I don't think Bill ever took an inning off. And even if it was something as seemingly routine as doing the manager show, Bill would take great, a lot of time and, and effort into crafting the questions for the manager show because he took everything he did. Everything he did was kind of part of art. 
you know, he was a great art lover and a wonderful painting uh, painter. He was an impressionist painter. I thought he was phenomenal. You could, you could, it wouldn't surprise me if some of his stuff wound up in a museum somewhere. But the way that he crafted each broadcast and the caring that he put into everything yeah. that he did, I think that really stood out. Ken Korak is our guest, the voice of the Oakland A's. And I hear about these different interests, especially the painting. And I also know that he broadcast uh, every day of the year, it sounds like. Um, <laughs> how did he ever have time to do this with all the other jobs that he was doing? Well, he had a great aversion to sleep. Sleep was something that was like necessary, but it was kind of a necessary evil that Bill felt that he would be robbed of like a big portion of the day if he slept more than five hours. So he could live on five hours sleep. And he was running all over the country, as you guys know. Yeah. At one point, he was doing the, the Raiders, the Warriors, and the A's at the same time. Now, there are people that do three sports, but not three major league sports at the same time. So he'd get four hours sleep, get on a plane, fly somewhere, and he loved it. He just, I mean, the way that, like I said, there was a passion for living that he had, and it was, it was every moment. Now, he could nap. I mean, <laughs> well, we've um, seen that with a few broadcasts. Big I remember <laughs> there'd be time, like 15 minutes before the first pitch of a game, he'd say, you know, I'm going to go over to the back of the booth and take a nap. He'd go, you know, he'd fall asleep for five minutes and wake up and he'd be ready to go. So he, <laughs> he was a really unique guy. Yeah. Tell us about the book. You, you put everything down on paper about Bill. What was that like? Well, it was, um, it, it, you know, first of all, it was intimidating to try to write a book about Bill and try to capture him yeah. because, and I'm sure that the, the, the majority of the people who bought the book are people from the Bay Area who were deeply invested in Bill as sure. their broadcaster. So I was intimidated. It was a daunting assignment trying to capture him and to try to do justice to Bill. But I guess in the final analysis, it's like anything you do. You do the best you can with it. And the thing that really energized me uh, guys, was the interviews that I did. Because I talked to maybe 40 or 50 people doing the research for the book. And honestly, their passion for talking about Bill served as a real catalyst for me to write the book. Because I couldn't wait to start writing once I finished the interviews. And, yeah. this, and it turned into kind of a, a Bay Area uh, sporting history yeah. because of the sure. involvement that Bill right. had with all the sports teams in the Bay Area. So when you're talking to people like Rick Barry, and John Madden, um, it really was, it was kind of a, a chronology of, of Bill's life, but also a lot of the things that happened in Bay Area sports. Ken, this has been really fun having you swing by. We appreciate you taking some time out and, and talking about your, uh, your Hall of Fame uh, former partner. This is pretty cool. Well, thanks, you guys. Yeah. A lot of fun. It's good to have the A's in town. We're glad you like our ballpark so much. I love your ballpark. <laughs> oh, hey, real quick. I love the food. So I love we, everything. We did want to ask you, uh, before we let you go, about the developments of a potential new ballpark for your club. It's the first time that I've really been optimistic about it. Uh, the A's have a new team president named Dave Cavill. There have been a lot of changes around the ballpark and in the front office, and he has come out and said, he's on record as saying that the A's will have an announcement before the end of the year yeah. of a stadium site and a time to get a shovel in the ground. Nice. So it's the first time we've really had something concrete that we can latch onto there. And what I like there, and it's on your lanyard, rooted in Oakland. That's the saying, and it's going to be in Oakland. It's going to be like in Oakland. The Oakland A's are going to be staying in Oakland. Where they should be, absolutely. Yeah, I agree. Couldn't absolutely. agree more. All right. Thank you, Ken. Thanks, Ken. Thank you guys Thank very you, buddy. much. Brian Holman with a 3-2 pitch again to Ricky Henderson. The fastball swung on and a fly ball hit deep to center field. Going back, Griffey. Away back. Over his head. Makes the catch. Unbelievably. 
The run will score, but the Willie Mays type catch. It is one nothing Oakland over his shoulders, reaching out to make an easy grab. What a picture that was. A sacrifice fly, one nothing. I thought it was way over his head. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.